This is the Engaging Podcast. I'm Brandi Dolishal. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Rhonda Calloway from Political Science and Dr. Daphne Fulton from Population Health. Both of these guests have incorporated play and games into their classrooms and share their experiences with game-based pedagogy. Our first interview is with Dr. Rhonda Calloway. Our guest today is Dr. Rhonda Calloway. Um, thank you for being here with me. Oh, this is great. I love it. Um, so first, tell us about your area of expertise. Okay, so I am a professor of political science here at Sam Houston. My area is uh, international relations. And within international relations, my area of research is, is human rights. Um, but as, a, as someone who is an instructor, professor here at the university, we have uh, a mandate to teach a whole variety of classes. So I teach Texas government some, I teach American government, um, but the class that we're gonna focus on is the introduction to international relations for our majors. And we have a lot of minors in there as well. Excellent. So the, f- the focus of this episode is games in the classroom. Um, so how do you incorporate games into your classroom? Um, in international relations, there's a, a subfield or people, scholars who actually work in, in a field or approach their studies in what is called game theory. And so scholars attempt to model strategic decisions made by states like foreign policy decisions. And it ranges from formal modeling and papers that I just look at and my eyes kind of glaze over to using things like the prisoner's dilemma or tit for tat. Um, So it's prominent in conflict studies. So in my international relations class, um, for the first time, I've incorporated a board game called Diplomacy, and it's been around for a real long time. Um, I have never played it. It's kind of a it's kind of like risk, but on steroids. So it's much more complicated than risk. And um, the rule book is 23 pages long. Um, So it's, yeah, so it's a little complicated. So I was a little weary to try and do it, but the game board says it's for 12 and up. So I thought, okay, (laughs) we can conquer it. Um, So, um, so yeah, so I started to use this game and it's set in 1900. And there are seven major powers in Europe. And so the teams, fortunately, my class was small. So I had 20 students and I divided them into the seven teams um, so that two or three people um, are representing one of these countries, great powers in Europe. And the goal is to acquire 18 supply centers across Europe. Um, so I distilled the rules down to, um, well, the ga- the rule book does. It has a last page that has like 22 major points. And then a page that has all the, um, the board game is abbreviated for all the different provinces you can capture. And I gave them copies of that. But fortunately, I found that there's an online version back, uh, on backstabber.com. And it will tell you if the move you want to make is successful because you can have seven different teams moving around the board and wanting to capture the same province. And there's rules to which would win under what circumstances. And it would take 
probably half the class to figure out if one move is successful and the computer does it. So they make the move on the board and then we enter it into the computer and it'll tell you which country was successful. Um, and so it's really quite cool. And, and they can get onto Backstabber and have a sandbox similar to what we have in terms of like Blackboard, right? So they can practice moves. And so many of the students have gone on and you can game on Backstabber. You can just join a game. So, so yeah, it's, um, that's how I incorporated the first two days of class. We played the game, and then we've played it several times as we've gone along, and, um, and the students have, uh, have really enjoyed it. I don't know a lot about this game, but what I do know, I, I think Backstabber is a very like, yes, appropriate, appropriate name. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's about diplomacy, right? <laughs> right. So the, the game is played where you have starting points. So each each power has, you know, three or four areas that they control. And then there's a session of 15 to 20 minutes, depending upon the round, where they go through and negotiate with the different countries and try to come to some alliances and some sort of agreement. If I make this move and you make this move, we can take out, you know, the third party. And it's very classic of the friend of or the, the friend of my enemy or the enemy of my friend is my friend or something, whatever that phrase is. Um, and then, then they write their orders. They write their orders for every either fleet or army they have, and they can either um, keep their promise or they can break their promise. And this sets up the discussion of how states behave from a theoretical point of view, which students tend to have a hard time with um, learning theories as opposed to history, which is a fine line. Um, so we try to talk to them about how states, states will behave in a certain environment. And they're like, oh, well, that happened in the game. And you're like, yeah. So it's kind of experiential learning. And then we can refer back to it when we're talking about specific assumptions of a theory. So you've mentioned here um, the benefit the benefit of them understanding better what um, like how states act. What other benefits does does this have for students? Yeah, I think by starting um, starting it off on the first day, um, we went through the syllabus fairly quickly, and then I introduced the game. And fortunately, there are some YouTube videos that kind of give a really great overview. Um, about some basic rules about what your pe what what moves you can make and what the goals are. So they were able to, okay, here's what we're getting ready to do, and then um, it helped develop relationships. I think in the class, so teams were randomly people were randomly put into the seven teams. They didn't know each other. And then you could see very quickly that they had to communicate with each other to figure out what they wanted to do, what their goals were. Um, I will say before that, I forgot, uh, um, it's not really a game, but it was more of a, a, it was a thing I picked up in a faculty learning community um, where we did something of a personality test that talked about whether they were gold, green. I can't even remember the 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 um the name of it but it talked about how you communicate and how your what your style is so it wasn't so much that you were an introvert or an extrovert 
So people knew what their colors were and they thought, well, I want someone who thinks the same way that I do. So people were able to put, I was able to put people together with teams um, based on what they thought would be a good fit for them so that they weren't just, so it wasn't random now that I think about it. Um, But at any rate, they were able to um, have class discussions. They were able to negotiate with each other. So I think it really um, opened up the portal, if you will, to better communication and discussion in the class. Um, so I think w- one of the benefits was that they felt comfortable talking in class because they have already been talking to each other and discussing um, things in class. Um, so they were very engaged, willing to answer questions. Um, um, so I think that's, that's, that was one of the first benefits. Um, I think a second benefit in my field, as I mentioned earlier, students have a hard time grasping theory, um, particularly international relations theory, because they know these events happened and they can't get away from that event to understand a theoretical point of view. And so the game, because they experienced some of the concepts without knowing what the concept was, they were able to latch onto that, I think, easier. The fact that alliances are short-lived, right? The the fact that states may not keep their promises and and things of that nature. So I think that that was really beneficial to them. Uh, how so you mentioned that they started gaming on the right, side right right <laughs> how else what other reactions have you gotten from it um i don't think a week doesn't go by where they don't ask to play right <laughs> are we going to be able to play today um and the, it's it's kind of half and half there are some students whose team they just never could you know, win a battle. And so they're like, yeah, this game hates me kind of, but they still, the good thing about it is that we debrief, right. In terms of how, you know, what happened here, what happened there. And we're able to use the terminology to say, okay, this person is engaging in either offensive realism or defensive realism. And they, you know, they would speak up and say, yeah, I did that because I was thinking that this country was going to do something. So even if the team never won a battle or if they're still stuck in their own little corner of Europe, doesn't mean they can't experience um, what's happening overall. So it's, it's not, you don't have to win or lose the game in order to understand what I'm trying to teach them about my field. Um, so they do ask to, to play every day. I think another positive reaction is, is, you know, the question that always comes up is, okay, so yeah, you're having fun, you're playing this game, but um, how do you know that they're learning anything, right? I mean, so they do have a paper. So they have their first paper was they had to explain elements of the theory that they understood it from an IR, international relations perspective, and they had to use examples from the game to illustrate that point they were making. Um, And so in terms of papers that I could compare to previous times, um, I'm not speaking to writing ability or paper, you know, paragraph construction, but in terms of content, um, I feel like they have, I don't want to say learn it better, but they're better to, they're more able to articulate an understanding 
of that theoretical concept beyond just here's what it says in the book. So here's what I'm putting in the paper because I've chosen not to use a traditional international relations textbook. So they can't just go look at the book and decide here's what I'm going to say about this. So they have to be able to put in their own words what this concept means. And they said, this is illustrated by when Germany went to this and this other country blocked that or something. Um, so I think that that has, that has been pretty beneficial. I don't know anything about international relations, but th this seems like um, if I had an option to read a book about it or play a game and like right. really see that I, I would definitely take your class. <laughs> yeah. The student, I mean, it's been really positive because they all know that, I mean, like I said, the, the game takes place. It starts in the spring of 1900 and from a historical point of view, things are starting to break down in Europe for a whole host of reasons. So the game is played in, in two seasons, make up a, a year. So you play in the spring of 1900, the fall of 1900. And at the end of that session, the game, you count up and see who has gained a supply center and then they can add to their army or their fleet. So not only do they acquire more territory, but with, in acquiring that territory, they grow their army. So they can't just they can't just be sitting back hoping no one invades them because everyone else's army is getting bigger and bigger, and this is really what happens in World War One. And so, um, even if they don't know particulars, and obviously in this game, Germany can win, and we know that they don't historically, they can still see in the bigger scheme and a theoretical point of view, why and how states make decisions based on security interests. Um, and so, um, so it does. And then it, it never fails that when I teach international relations, some historical event will occur and they go, well, this is what's happening in Ukraine. And so I came in one day and the invasion had just started and they, it was like 10 minutes before class and they were all talking about, current events and they understood security issues. And, and so it's, it's been a, an eye opener that they are able to connect theory to what they're seeing in the world around them, which was, which was great. Um, the last time I taught this class, I didn't teach it as an international relations. It was a special problems. And I teach, I taught it as a, um, the international relations of zombies. And so, um, and so uh, there's a book that I use called International Relations and Zombies um, that t takes a theoretical look at um, which theory of IR would be best uh, for states to use in the event of an, a zombie apocalypse, which is, you know, science fiction is, is a metaphor for international relations. This is why people who study international relations are Star Wars geeks or, you know, Star Trek because you can use that as analogies for what's happening. So the zombie metaphor is whatever states are unexpected, right? So how do you, how do you address it? Well, don't you know that's this fall, that was the spring of, of COVID. And so any, anywhere we were talking about zombies, we just put in the word COVID and then we didn't come back from spring break, right? And so um, there's always something in the real world that is happening that students can latch on to the theoretical arguments about why we think states behave the way they do. And then they can see it happening 
And so not that I hope things bad happen, but it never fails that, that they can see the things that they're learning in class can be applied to their everyday life, if not applied to the world around them. So I think that's a positive. Teaching this class. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, when's the next time to teach you? The, the I know. Teaching well, I need because, to brace. <laughs> yeah. Um, because um, we have a class called Intro to International Relations. Um, I wanted to try and do something a little different. When I was teaching this, um, when I decided to teach a class on, on zombies and, and intergalactic world kind of thing. So I would use references to... Um, science fiction and Battlestar Galactica and things like that. And so instead, when I was going to teach this class, I thought I'm not going to go back to that traditional 300 page textbook that just is not interesting for the kids, not interesting for me. So I incorporated some of those books and ideas from that zombie class to the IR class. So I found an open resource, kind of basic IR book that is their kind of resource they can use to get more um, straightforward. Here's what realists think. Here's what feminists think. Here's what constructivists think. Because the Dresner book on international relations or international politics and, and, and zombies is, is talking all about how a realist would ad- address a zombie apocalypse. So, I have to fill in kind of the blanks about here's what realists think, here's what liberals thinks. And, and so, um, but, um, but I thought it would be much more interesting for them because they've all, they all watch these crazy things, right? They've all seen the walking dead. They've, or at least know what that is. They've seen world war Z. They know what that is. And so, um, so I can use that to hook them in, <laughs> take them down into the abyss with me <laughs> before they know it, you know? And so, um, and they're smarter than we give them credit for most of the time, right? That they like, oh yeah, I get it, right? I get how this is supposed to represent some unknown, the known unknowns out there that, that states have to face. Yeah. I have a, I, I like to use zombies and calculus problems. <laughs> yeah. Well, you would enjoy this book then. The students like it. <laughs> they do. They do. They like the idea that um, you know things that they know. I find that every year that goes by, you know, they're, they're the same age, but I'm not, right? And so it's like my cultural references, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not hip anymore. So I have to really kind of figure out how to speak in a language. And, and they know Harry Potter. And so all these, there's all kinds of pedagogical um articles written in my field. We have a journal for pedagogy. I'm sure every discipline does. And there's all, this is where I get a lot of my ideas is that how to use Harry Potter in, in teaching international relations, right? How to use Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, not the original, but the reboot. It's fantastic to talk about all kinds of issues in international relations. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, I think gaming and, and, pop culture, using pop culture to teach my field is, is, a, is one way to garner interest and keep them um, um, attuned to what you're trying to teach them content-wise, and they can make that connection. Harry Potter is also excellent for differential equations. There you go. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew that that was going to be possible? And, you know, you can start to see where there could be a great um, course, maybe an honors course, where it's 
interdisciplinary where you have Harry Potter as the backdrop, but you could have some, you know, like you say, English professors come in, literature professors, math professors, um, uh, you know, poli-sci professors and talk about, you know, this is, you know, this is a, a way to look at this particular artifact in a very different way. And so next thing you know, you have people who really like Harry Potter doing math things they never, never thought they would do or are thinking about Harry Potter and what it means in terms of an allegory or an analogy to the real world. So um, I think that that's a good way to get students really interested in, in our individual disciplines. Agreed. Excellent. I also, I, I say this every time I do a podcast recording. So, but, but I'm like, Oh, I want to come take your class. That I know. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's I always my favorite thing too. about this. <laughs> well, it's great. Cause you're figuring out what other, what other people are doing. And, and, you know, when you're 1920 and you're going to college and you're trying to get your degree, you know, you, you take these prescribed classes and more and more, you have very little opportunity for electives or whatever. But now that I'm way past the time of being an undergraduate, I think, oh, I'd like to go back and take a class on, you know, fill in the blank. And it's like, man, you know, but I think that's indicative of people in the academic world that we're lifelong learners. So we're yeah. always interested in, in seeing what other people do and thinking about, I always kind of think, well, how could I do that in my class? Right. So, so I think this is a great way to talk about that. All right. Is there anything else you would like to add? Um, no, I just, I, when I was thinking about this question, and we've already talked about it, if it wasn't for the online version of Backstabber, I don't think I would have been successful. Um, so there's the world of gaming has the, the traditional games that we played, there's online versions of them. So whether it's Monopoly or Risk or whatever, my guess is that you could find an online version. And so I would just encourage people to kind of expand their idea uh, of how to how to use gaming and, and see what versions are out there um, to allow that to be part of part of the curriculum. Yeah, that's a great I um I have also taught classes with games um, and the, the online game gaming is just like a lifesaver mm -hmm. because there are some like, you know, battleship is super hard to get enough copies for a class of right. 20 or 30 students. Right. Um, and like battleship doesn't really work in teams. Right. <laughs> so Yeah. And so for this game, when I thought, cause our classes and sometimes depends on what time of the day it is and it, this, that, and the other, but, for whatever reason, I have 20 students when this class normally has 35. So I purchased, um, Amazon had a great deal one day and it was like 20 bucks. So I purchased two of them because I thought I was going to have to have two games going on simultaneously. And this is before I recognized there was an online version. And I thought, how am I <laughs> going to manage this? Because it's it can be chaos, right? There are seven teams moving around the room, talking to each other. And it's like, okay, how am I going to do this? And so on Backstabber, you can have multiple games going on at the same time. So you just name it. It's just like any, it's just menu driven. It's very easy. Um, and so uh, without that, I would, I would not be successful. It would have been, it would have been chaos. So, um, so I think that's another key is to look around, see where all your um, games are, but also um, see what disciplines are doing it. You can just Google and Google scholar, you know, 
even if it's not for your discipline, you can convert it into your discipline. And so how are other people using these games in their classroom? So that's how I found, um, actually, I was at a conference. I was at a conference and went to a pedagogical uh, panel on using games in in IR and they were, we played diplomacy for like 20 minutes. And um, so that's, that's another good way to find resources is in your disciplines conferences. So anyway, I've rambled on, sorry. <laughs> that's kind of what we're doing here. Okay. Okay. Rambling. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, great. Well, thank you again so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad I was able to talk about my class. Our next guest is Dr. Daphne Fulton. Our next guest is Dr. Daphne Fulton. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So first, I'd like you to tell me a little bit about your area of expertise. Okay, by training, I am a health educator. I spent over 30 years in the healthcare field working with patients, with healthcare administration and with public health administration on a local, national, and a state level. So I've had a lot of experience working with people and my expertise is public health, especially public health communication and relationships, that type of thing. Um, professor here in the Department of Public Health. It, it's a fun place to be. It's a Great time for public health because with all of the things going in the world, health-wise, people realize the need for public health resources. It's it's your time to shine, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. So um, our focus of this episode is about games and play. How do you incorporate games and play into your classroom? Okay, so I believe that students are going to learn more if they apply what they're learning while they're learning it. I've seen it in action. And they're even going to recall it more if they're enjoying the experience. So I try and find different types of, this sounds crazy, old-fashioned games that I can bring into the classroom and use in a classroom setting. For example, we're learning about health literacy. Health literacy is the ability to access, learn and comprehend health information and use it to further your health. And that is a very hard concept for some of our students because they do have an education. So they do understand, they understand concepts like that, but in the real world, that's not necessarily so. So we play the old-fashioned game of telephone. I put them in three lines or four lines of 10 or however many students we've got, 10 students in a line. And I have a very complex diagno diagnosis that I whisper in the first student's ear. And then they whisper it to the next student and the next student and the next student. And each group has a different one. So they don't overhear something. They won't be, I don't know, fuzzled by it. And it's by the end of the 10th person, it's something totally different. And sometimes it's just gobbledygook with just a bunch of noises and it's hysterical and they love that. 
They love that. And they've now they've understood that you don't always hear correctly. And so you don't understand what you're hearing. And then when they come back and we sit back at our desk, it's kind of like, okay, so what did you learn from that? Um, and they start thinking, well, I don't hear well. Well, it is, were you listening? Yeah, I was listening. So you were listening, but you didn't hear because why? Well, I just didn't understand it. There you go. We've now introduced health literacy. And that, and it's fun. And they enjoy it. And then when you go through all of the different concepts that go with health, constructs that go with health literacy, they can apply that exercise to what they're learning and they, they have it better. When we talk about interpersonal relationships, this is, this is a really fun one and how to treat people with kindness instead of being the bully um, to interpersonal communication. I'll send half of them out into the room. And uh, out of the room, and those in the room, I give them an instruction. Okay, your job is to have your partner open their fist. You open their fist however you can open it. You get that fist open. And so then I tell the people in the hallway, don't open your fist unless they ask nicely. And you'll have some that you'll see the ones that figure it out fairly quickly because the partner will be there with their wrist open and you'll see some of the students digging into their wrist, into the fist, trying to get it open. And it's just to tell them the differences in the way they communicate and how some people will respond better with, with uh, kindness rather than you've got to do this and you've got to do this to improve your health. So that's another fun thing that we do. I try and find really the old-fashioned ones. For instance, when we play uh, Wheel of Fortune, Wheel of Fortune is kind of fun because it's I use it as a review before our exam. That we, well, I give one exam in that class because it's writing enhanced and everything else is written or some something like that, um, wording of some type. But anyway, it's a review of all the different constructs and terms they've learned. And that seems to be a whole lot better for them than, than the other types of reviews that you would generally give out and have games. And not only that, I give prizes. And prizes are usually going to be like Tootsie Roll Pops or some type of, of uh, treat like that. Mm -hmm. I used to give out the Hershey chocolates with, and the Mars with Snickers and everything, but we had a peanut allergy once. So now we don't do any uh, allergy foods. And that's actually a question I ask on my intake questionnaire. I have a student questionnaire where they fill out things about them. Do you have any allergies? Because I want to know, because we do a lot of activities like that. And I want to make sure my students are protected and safe in the classroom. I would hate it if something happened to them. We, uh, of course, everybody plays Jeopardy. Okay. We've even played Family Feud. Now, Family Feud, you're going to say, well, how did you get the questions? Well, so before I introduce a subject, I will give them, okay, so what do you think this is? I will poll the class on what they think a term means, and they will actually submit that. And that's what I use on Family Feud. It's what they think the terms meant. 
and they have a ball when they see what how some of the outlandish explanations that the students come up with. And it's kind of like, how could you even think that? Didn't you think about the word and stuff like that? So that's that's kind of a fun thing to get them in the learning mode of, hey, really, what does that term mean? Because we can have, have a little bit of fun with it first. So that's a, a kind of a fun thing for them is family feud. But you do have to remember just to act, do the polls before you start the classes. And sometimes I'll do them up to two or three weeks before we have those concepts. So when it comes back to the time, they, oh, yeah, that's why we did that poll and, and things like that. But that's a, that's another fun game. When we're, another thing that we do when we're talking about, because uh, this, this, I use games quite often in my communications class, is uh, one of, I have them talk to the public, address the public in a public health campaign like they would talk to their dog. <laughs> oh, now, don't you want to, don't you want to quit smoking? Oh, yeah, that's not good for you. You give me that cigarette. And you can hear them throughout the room giggling about talking to their dog or their cat or whatever pet. And it breaks the ice. It's a great icebreaker for buckling down and figuring out how to word something and the inflection in your voice and the way you present information, how it makes a difference in the way it's received. So that's a, that's another fun thing that, that we've done. Anytime you have a game like that, let me know because I'm all for incorporating them. And I found some great websites that actually have suggested games for higher education. Some of them are fun. Some of them I keep going, nah, I'm not going to do that ever. But um, some of them I think are fun. And then at the end of the year, well, first of all, I do a midterm evaluation. And the midterm evaluation is tell me what you've learned in class. What do you wish, what's effective? What do you wish we were doing differently? What do you wish we'd do more of? Um, what do you suggest for here? How should I change the course? That, that type of thing, because I want to know how they're doing in the course and how they're receiving it and if they're learning the information they need to learn in, 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 if I'm doing it right. Anyway, they always say, we love the games. Never do away with the games. Um, and they'll tell me their favorite ones sometimes. Most of them really like the in-class activities. And we'll usually do a game at the beginning, oh, at least one, once a week, we'll do some type of a game. Now, that's not like think, pair, share. That's totally different because we do that, too. And we do a group coming together to decide on the best way to solve a problem, that type of thing. But these are just really old-fashioned games that they play. And then when I, I've seen a vast improvement in their critical thinking skills, too because they're able to think through a problem because they've seen um, in playing the game, they've started to, that started them thinking and they're able to think through it. They learn the concepts much better on the exam. They do take, they do understand the concepts and can apply them. I'm all about application. This class is all about application because our, when we go for accreditation, that's one of 
that's one of the things they look at is can they apply these type of, of materials to public health. So it's for me, it's all about application. Their grades have improved. Student attendance is, is down. I mean, it's up. So their absentee rate is down rather than before I started playing games. The first day of class, the very first day of class, we do a communication game where uh, half the class turns the back, their back to the front. And then the other half, they have a partner. And I put a drawing up and they have to explain to their partner how to draw the drawing without their partner seeing it. And that's the very first, the very first introduction to my communications class is with the game. That's so they really know it's, cool yeah, it's really, cause I mean, that is communication and it takes, I give them a while and I tell them they can't use their hands because some of them will start, you know, doing things in the air with their hands. So it's kind of like, nope, can't use your hands. <laughs> and you, you have to use only adjectives. You can't use anything else. And that makes it even harder. So, um, it's, it's a fun one. And they realize, oh, so this class, we might actually be doing things and having fun. And they enjoy it. It, it makes it more fun. It, it's, um, it also helps me. Because anytime I'm teaching a class, if, if I'm bored, I know they're bored. Oh, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> and there have been times... In that I've been presenting material and I'm thinking, you know, I'm bored stiff with this. There has got to be a better way. And I've actually stopped class before and said, okay, who's bored? And of course, nobody's <laughs> going to raise their hand. And I'll say, no, who's bored? And nobody raises their hand. I said, it's okay. You can tell me. Nobody raises their hand. So I say, okay, I'm bored. So we're going to switch this up. And um, they all kind of like, wow, professor's really bored. They're, they're whole it's, whoa. Um, so it's really helped me quite a bit in the way that I think about presenting stuff. When I present a concept, a poll is always like, what do you think this means? Like professionalism. What do you think professionalism means? Okay, go to your minimeter and tell me what professionalism means to you. And then I can show it on the screen and they can see what everybody thinks professionalism is. And, and that's just, that's a game. They don't understand it, but that is. And um, it makes it kind of fun. It breaks the ice a little bit. It sounds like your class is super fun and interactive. Um, so you've gone through the, some of the benefits of, of that to your students, but do you, are, are there more, um, you know, have you noticed differences when you do this and you not do this in, in like, the grades that your students get and such? Actually, I do. I do. Um, actually, yes, very much so. Especially in the applied area and the critical thinking areas. Now, they can, they can give you, they can regurgitate vocabulary pretty well. What does this mean? You know, da 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 fill in the blank. This means that. Just from reading their material or going over their slides or whatever, but they often can't tell you what it means and how to dig deeper into it unless they've applied it some way in the classroom. Once I've found that they can apply it in the classroom in some type of activity, 
their whole thinking is deeper and their writing is on a deeper level. And I'll tell them, I do not want you to tell me what I told you. I know what I told you. I know what's on the slides. I made them. So I don't want you to tell me what I told you and is on the slides. I want you to tell me what you thought through this process. And uh, it really has helped grade-wise everything. There are a few units that are just factual units that I do. But for those, we can use things like Family Feud or Wheel of Fortune, those type of things. But uh, for the critical thinking exercises, it's, it's, it's almost it's almost a required for my class to do some type of activities like this. And it's fun. I love watching them giggle and laugh and, and thinking, oh my goodness, that's what that was. Or, or giggling at each other and they get to know each other a whole lot better. Discussion is like five times better because they, they don't mind talking out loud. They've already talked out loud. And they've talked out loud with the fun things, so they don't mind discussing the difficult things. I had one, one actual professor in a different department say, oh, yeah, well, you have good discussions, but you don't talk about difficult things. It's kind of like, I'm in public health. Okay, so we have STDs. We have COVID. We have myriad of mental health, public health issues. Those aren't difficult to talk about. Yeah, they're difficult <laughs> to talk about. Uh, students don't want to always share their opinion because they're afraid of speaking up. But if they know if they've heard their voice out loud in class before, they have more confidence in themselves. So they're able to actually talk out loud and they're not afraid of hearing their voice. I, I guess is really what I want to say with them. It's made a big difference. So you find that there's kind of um, more, I I guess the word I want is bonding in your class. That's oh, yeah. Great. Everybody knows each other. But in fact, last week we sang happy birthday to a student on her 21st birthday. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I just stopped the class. I said, because anyway, I knew her birthday was coming up because that had already been shared. Wait, is today your birthday? Yes. Okay. Got to stop everything we're doing mid-class. Um, we're all going to sing happy birthday to her. And we did. And they were kind of giggling and some of the students were kind of like, what is wrong with you? You know, that type of thing you are, you, this is no, but it, it was fun really. So um, yeah, they get to know each other pretty well. That's great. So your students are, are very positive about the design then? I think so. I did have one student one time out of all the years I've been teaching told me she wished I gave more exams. <laughs> it was kind of like, Okay, I don't know if she's being funny or if she's just, I, I'm not real sure, but uh, that's never going to happen. Did she say why? No, mm -mm. I oh, just okay. wish you gave more exams. I've so, never heard that request before. That is never, <laughs> ever going to happen in my class. I'm sorry. It's just not. Um, this, this is an application class and it's a writing enhanced course for one thing. So, no, you've got to come up with your ideas no exams. Anyway. Well, you've shared a lot of great ideas today. Is there anything else you would like to add? My thing is professors need to sometimes step out of their comfort zone. 
And once you step out of your comfort zone and realize that there's other ways to present material, you'll actually, the professor themselves will actually enjoy it more. Because you, I enjoy seeing my students enjoy what they're learning. I look, I enjoy looking at their end products. Oh, this is, in fact, some of the things they've created, we've used um, on a national, for a national organization or a uh, large children's hospital has asked us to create materials for them. So we do because they've seen some of the things that they've created. We've aced this course, in other words, um, with academic community engagement. And the the materials that they produce are used in the real world. Almost um, most of their projects are, not all of them. But um, so they actually see them in use. And that was simply stepping out of my comfort zone saying, okay, let's learn, do this a little differently than it's been done in the past. And how can we change this? And my, my midterm evaluation helps, but at the end on the idea evaluations, I always add my own questions. I also give one point of extra credit for students to come and visit with me. That lets me get to know them a whole lot better. And the question I always ask them is, if you could teach this course differently, what would you do? And most of them are very honest by the time they come and visit me because we've talked so much in class and I'm pretty open. I've worked enough in health and with people, I'm open about most things. So that works out real well too. <laughs> but just step out of your comfort zone. Don't, don't be afraid to have a little fun. Laughing is, is good for the soul. It's actually very good for your health. Um, and there's literature on that. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's healthy to laugh. That's fantastic advice. I agree completely. <laughs> yep. We all need to laugh. And you need to laugh, be able to laugh at yourself sometimes too. Because I mess up. I'm human. And oh, I, yeah. I'll tell them, okay, so this is totally my fault. I totally missed this. And uh, I don't mind laughing at myself. It's fun. Yeah, that is great advice for our listeners. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you, Brandy, for having me. I appreciate it. Just go out and have fun. It's um, Life is too short not to enjoy what you're doing. You've been listening to The Engaging Podcast. I'm Brandy Dolishall. Thanks for listening.